Thanks so much to Sentry.io for sponsoring Does Not Compute. Listen, Sentry understands developers. They know your code's broken, and they just want to help you fix it. Now, in a perfect world, you'd be able to test everything and test it perfectly. But we all know that writing tests is actually really difficult, and it's impossible to cover every edge case or anticipate the action of a really, really smart or really dumb user. Despite your best laid plans, your code will eventually go belly up. Now, you could rely on error reports from users, but is that really the best course of action? Not only is it frustrating experience for them, but you'll end up with incomplete or misleading bug reports that waste the time of both support and development teams. That's why Sentry is here to tell you all about the errors in your code before your customers have a chance to even see them. Their error reports include detailed contextual information to help you reproduce and fix the error, including a full stack trace, the commit where the line of code was checked in, and yes, even the developer to point the finger at. You can even get a breadcrumb trail that tracks the user's actions leading up to the error, so you can reproduce it without ever even contacting the user. And Sentry integrates with your deployment pipeline to track errors before they even make it to production. Sentry has first-party support for both client and server-side platforms, including a couple of DNC favorites, Vue.js, Rails, and yes, even Elixir. So head on over to Sentry.io to give it a try. They have a free developer account, which is perfect for personal projects and early-stage applications. Sentry.io. Your code is broken. Let's fix it together. This is our first episode back after after me moving back to California. And in uh, in the time that we were gone, I had fiber internet installed at my place. So nice. It is nice. So okay, it's there there are some some asterisks with that though. So yeah, it's very fast. If I go into my garage and I just plug into the AT&T supplied router slash modem, uh, I don't even really, it's not really even a modem anymore because the modem is really just, it's like a conversion. I guess it's a modem, but anyway, so like the fiber comes in off of the pole and then it gets converted from a glass signal to the, uh, to the copper signal. And then it goes into this AT&T supplied box, which they told me I had to have. I didn't want it, but they, they forced it on me. And, uh, so from there, if I hardwire into that, I can get 900 up, 900 down. That's awesome. Yeah. But as I'm sitting in my office right now, which is across the property, uh, I don't know how many square feet away that is, but it's pretty, it's two Orbi base stations away. So I have the <laughs> Orbi router, which is in the garage, and then I have the base station, which is the satellite, which is in my office. So however far that is, um, I'm getting, I average about 300 down and 400 up in my office right now. Damn. That's nice. Yeah, and if you remember a few episodes ago, I was complaining about I had been getting, I think it was between 20 and 30 down for a while, sometimes slower, and then I got a new route, the Orbi router, and that bumped it up to 100, and now I'm getting pretty consistently between three to 400 up and down. Cool. So if there's any connection issues, it's going to be on my end. Yeah, you can't blame it on me anymore. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Content-wise, I can blame stuff on you, though. Yeah. So that was a whole week. I didn't... I think maybe that was the longest break I've had from Design Collective since I started on it. So I had a few, a couple of days before because we moved on a Monday. So uh, I, I kind of stopped working on that Thursday and started packing more. And we don't really have much stuff. And plus that was leading up to, we had the holidays in between too. So we had Christmas and New right. Year's in between. Yeah, I didn't really, it was weird because we got here the day before Christmas Eve, I think. And so those two days were just spent unpacking and moving stuff. Mm-hmm. You're just like uh, Santa pulling pulling gifts out of his sack. You, know, you probably yeah. didn't even know what you were getting out of the moving boxes. Right. So it, it didn't really 
feel like a holiday. But like in terms of not working, so I had those two days off. Then the whole next week, I think we left on a Monday, and then we got in. We got in. We left on a Monday afternoon, and we got in on a Sunday morning. Well, Saturday night. But what we did was we kept driving and just stayed at another hotel because the driveway where I'm at is you're just not getting, you're not going to back a trailer up in there. It's not going to happen. Oh yeah. Cause you have the U-Haul towing the car, right? Yeah. And we're on a hill. And so <laughs> you will lose both. You will lose both. <laughs> so what we did was we, uh, we were going to return the trailer anyway and, and take the car off of it. So we found a, a spot. So we're in, in Santa Cruz. And so between Santa Cruz and San Jose are a bunch of mountains and highway 17. So what we did was instead of like driving that whole rig down highway 17, which is asking for death, uh, what we did was, if anyone's ever driven that, they would understand. And so what we did was we just stayed at a hotel and the next morning we dropped the car or dropped the trailer off, picked up the car and then we drove the U-Haul to the house and, and unpacked. So we really, we got in on a Saturday night, like super late, but um, we didn't get to the actual house until Sunday morning. So it was almost a full week of driving. And then what have you been up to since then? I mean, it's been two weeks since then. I'm sitting around. <laughs> just doing nothing. No, just like packing, unpacking and organizing and cleaning stuff and just kind of getting settled in, getting the office set up. So Jimmy and I, we have our office set up now and getting like, you know, I had to order fiber internet because the internet they had here was, it was fine for one person. But if, if, since there were three of us, if one person was trying to do homework and one person was trying to Netflix, it just wouldn't happen. So we did, we did that. Um, Got that all set up. Kind of started trying to get back into routines, adjusting to the time zone difference, which is it's not really that bad in the grand scheme of things, but it's it's enough to where you know waking up at four o'clock in the morning here, like I could keep doing that, but it wouldn't really work that well. So I kind of had to force myself to to swap in, and that's because Jamie won't be getting home till later, and so I need to be able to stay up later and not get up super early. And you're in the same time zone as Paul now. So how's that going to affect things? It's weird. It's weird. So this whole last week, uh, we kind of like we're getting back into the swing of things. And what's really strange is I'm used to having a few hours in the morning where it's dead silent. No one's trying to talk to me at all. And also we have other like emails that come in. So for example, we're using Metabase. And Metabase, uh, basically, I just have some reports that get sent out. So Metabase is like an analytics tool. You kind of connect it to a database and then you can tell it what tables you care about. And then you can you can basically build questions and it, it's like database stuff for your data. And we use Metabase to send out uh, some daily and weekly emails. So just like numbers, like X numbers of stores signed up yesterday, X number of people added something to their cart yesterday, just kind of, you know, just status stuff. And that was one of the most striking things is I didn't even think about it. And so before I moved, I would just, those would just come around between 11 a.m. and 1, 1 a.m. for me. And now I think maybe that's the most jarring thing. So like I'm getting up and I'm starting slowly to get into work mode and I'm already getting emails. Yeah. Or that's when they're coming in. Whereas previously I'd already be in work mode. I'd already be uh, active for a couple of hours. And so for whatever reason, those emails felt less jarring. But but now I'm not in work mode yet, and they hit me, and it makes me think about work before I'm working, and that kind of bummed me out. But other than that, it's great. Yeah, that's kind of funny. We have uh, we have nightly emails that go out, and it's similar to the that Metabase. It's just we I didn't know about Metabase. We just kind of rolled our own just little stats emails that go out to the admins. Mm-hmm. And uh, we always do those at midnight UTC, which... Uh, is like when we roll over our billing for the day. Sure. And uh, it's depending on the uh, daylight saving time. It's either 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. 
Uh, right now it's 7 p.m. I guess. So it's kind of funny. Like if we have a good day, I'll kind of like wait. I have to like wait to see like, oh, how'd we do today? You know, that kind of stuff. Uh, but sometimes they have to wait till eight. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Metabase thing looks cool. I got to look into that sometime. It's, it is cool. It's pretty easy to deploy. So we had it on Heroku, but it was just, it just was running out of RAM. So it's a giant Java app and it, it sucks up a lot of RAM. And I think it's it, it uses more RAM than a free dyno gives you. So that was a problem on Heroku, that is. So I just set up a Daku app on um, DigitalOcean on a, on a $5 server. Nice. And yeah, so the thing just hums away on, on DigitalOcean for us, which is great. That's cool. I thought it was like maybe a hosted service. I didn't know you had to do it yourself. Yeah, I think there, I think there might be one. I just was more comfortable doing it myself if I'm connecting production data to it. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's the time zone's fine. It's 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 a lot of little nuanced things I think that I noticed. But overall, it's working hasn't really changed much. My schedule hasn't really changed much. Meetings shift around, so I'm so used to having certain meetings that just happen weekly in the afternoon, and now they're in the morning. And so maybe that's the biggest thing to get used to because I would I normally I would do like a, a walk so I'd have lunch do a walk and then have meetings and now I can't really do that unless I if I do the walk first and then push back starting to work but then I'm not really in the mindset when I like in the work context mode if I'm having those meetings so I'm just kind of like shifting my schedule a little bit yeah you might have to work on uh putting some hard blocks on your your lunch time you know right yeah yeah and, you know, it was also nice having kind of some staggered hours. So I'd be early, I'd be up earlier in case someone needed support and Paul would be up later in case. So now we're all just kind of on the same, the same uh, time zone. Oh, poor you having to live in beautiful California and deal with all those problems. For me. It sucks. It's cold and rainy right now. Well, cold being relative. <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's rainy right it's now. It's snowing a, here. So don't tell me yeah, about cold. It, it's a cold wet. <laughs> it's a wet cold rather. It's a wet cold. But yeah, it's good. It's, 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 um... There's so many people. That's the first thing I always realize when I get back to California. The first time I moved here, I was like, there's so many cars. There's people everywhere. And it's not different. In fact, there's probably more cars here now <laughs> than there was. So driving, you know, what, five, I don't know, five, seven miles might take a half an hour, might take 40 minutes, depending on traffic, might take two minutes. Just depends on traffic. There's just so much traffic here. Whereas, you know, in fact, I don't think I've used cruise control since I've been back. Whereas I use cruise control almost every day, like going to training and stuff in Vermont. So you just can't do that here. Are you close enough to the Silicon Valley that you feel any effects of that in terms of like tech companies in the area or people or anything like that? Or no, well, it's more hidden. It's 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 maybe more subtle here. So there are there are some downtown Santa Cruz. There's Cosmic, which is a pretty actually pretty cool design studio. I used to to know. In, in Santa Cruz. So they're right downtown by some coffee shops I like to go to and they have a cool little spot. So they're there. But I mean, there's not like billboards. So when you go into San Francisco, when you're driving into San Francisco, there's just billboards. It's just like tech company billboards all over the place. Like they're talking to programmers and it's weird. Like, oh, you're talking to me. This is aimed at, because there's never really, I feel like most billboards in my life that I've seen haven't really been aimed at me or I didn't feel like I identified with or they made sense for me to even look at. But when I go to San Francisco, I'm like, oh, this is aimed at me. I feel uh, noticed or seen. <laughs> right, right. What's that? What's that people see? What's that people say on Twitter? I feel seen or I feel... Uh, uh, it's like the the great eye of Sauron has, has landed <laughs> upon you. But Santa Cruz is, is more... There there are some... There's like some co-working spots and there's some... There's a couple of uh, tech companies around, but there's not really that many. 
uh, Elecraft, which is the uh, company that makes all the radios that we use. They're based out of looks like Watsonville, which is oh, like okay, yeah, just south of there. Yeah, yeah, I've been yeah, I've been through Watsonville a lot. Yeah, we uh, Activus. We used to volunteer at a I'm trying to remember what they're called now. There's kind of a like an after school tech program that we would go to. And so people were learning how to do video editing and programming and design. And so we'd kind of go and spend some time there every now and then. Cool. Cool. So um, you're living that Cali life. West Coast, best coast. Uh, well, when it comes to food, I firmly believe that is the case. <laughs> you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. There's, there, there, yeah, there's, there are some things that I do miss about Vermont or, you know, it has, it has its moments. East Coast has its qualities that... I can enjoy, I think, but overall, I do prefer prefer the West Coast for sure. So, uh, what have you been? What have you been up to since? Uh, what's it been? It's been like maybe two weeks since we talked because we got we did we kind of double up on some recordings, and so I feel like I haven't actually talked to you in quite a while. Yeah, it's been about three weeks since we talked, but uh, wow, yeah, it's been crazy. I mean, just dealing with the holidays and all that stuff. I basically took the whole week of Christmas and New Year's off. Yeah, actually, I, I actually did take it off. I didn't actually do any work for once, which was nice. <laughs> Started working again on the second. And uh, so it's just, you know, three day week and getting back in the groove. The first day is always rough getting back, man, especially when you've got like, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but I'm juggling like more projects now than than ever before, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for better or for worse, uh, yet to decide that. But that's just been, it's just been a crazy few days of getting a new project off the ground, getting, you know, existing projects kind of buttoned up and back up and running. And you know what I mean? It's just, it's just been nonstop. So, but all, all, all good stuff, all good stuff. Yeah. So, so last time we had talked, you had Glance as this kind of a, a contractor, a side thing. And then you had obviously RHR, which was your main gig. Mm-hmm. What are, what have you added to the the list there? Yeah. So uh, this requires a little bit of backstory. So, Back in, I think it was 2010, I was looking through my invoices trying to figure it out. Around 2010, I um, a buddy of mine works for a small local company. I won't get into like the names, but uh, a buddy of mine from school works at a small local company, and they needed a old VB, Visual Basic, kind of calculator app that they'd written, uh, updated, and maintained. And uh, so I originally you know, kind of rewrote it as like a nice C-sharp application, which had all this like automated updated and, uh, database and you know software updates and it was it was pretty cool for a while until it became like a pain to <laughs> to maintain and uh, I mean literally like they uh, it had the whole product catalog as a uh, Microsoft Access file included with the Ooh, application yeah right and like the thing was password protected but. Number one, turns out password protecting Microsoft Access is basically fruitless because it can crack that in like no time at all. And, and that's like sitting on everyone, every user's computer. And I had to encode the password somewhere in the, right, in the resource file. Right, like yeah. it's bottled the thing. And so I had to like obfuscate it and it was a whole thing. I'm sure there's better ways to do that. But regardless, that was a pain. So eventually I ended up updating that small app to a web application, uh, which has been way better because I can just, you know, I mean, I don't need to explain the benefits to you, to you and to sure. our listeners, but um, it's this great, beautiful web app now that I've been working on, you know, on and off for the past few years. And this company, my name got passed around in the company to another department, and now I'm starting up a new project with them. Nice. And uh, it's going to leverage that existing work that I've done. So basically, like this one app I wrote was basically like a calculator. It's like it runs models and kind of uh, creates estimates for like how this like equipment that they make will perform. Okay. And then the next 
project is going to take that calculation and build it into like a full system configurator so they can actually like price out quotes and stuff for for big hardware systems. Yeah, so it's, it sounds like that project is legitimately, uh, it's not just like kind of like a redo or an upkeep. It's actually like implementing something they can use to to help the business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they use it all the time. And like the guy I talk to is like, yeah, I use this every day and it's great. <laughs> so it's always nice to hear. Yeah. That's awesome. I spend a couple of days just like thinking about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. With these new projects, you always fall into the trap of like i just want to like i have all these ideas i just want to start it you know stub it out and yeah make the user accounts and make the permissions and make a make a new app it's a greenfield app right you can do whatever you want the uh at least my my gut is to just like jump right into it yeah and uh that's almost never the right thing to do right <laughs> i mean how do, how, do you correct, approach, yeah. how do you approach new projects when you're when you have a new idea or like a new client i mean you haven't had a new client in you know, a couple of years now, but mm-hmm. I don't know. What's your process for, for doing that? Cause I want to kind of, I just want to, you know, I'll tell you eventually how I ended up going about it, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So it has been a while since I've had a, good, a new client that wasn't me. I'm trying to think back at Octopus cause I did turn around a lot of projects. It, it was kind of specialized there because it wasn't just me. I kind of had like a project manager or a pseudo project manager working on things. Yeah, the, my first inclination used to be to just jump in and start writing code. And obviously it changed after a while to trying to think about the non-cruddy or non... By crud, you know, I mean the acronym, create, read, update, delete. Trying to think about the non-bootstrappy um, style type of stuff. So I tried to not think about how does the user system work? Because in general, that's pretty much the same. I mean, there's nuances across apps, but the base, base like authentication stuff is is sort of a, a solved solution in most cases. So I, I guess I try to think mostly about the business, the specific unique business cases that this this thing would need to do mm-hmm. and, and start there by like writing them out. And then one thing I try to do often now is I try to shoot holes in things. So after a while, if I come up with a road, like a a roadmap of okay, I need this system to work this way, and this system needs to work with that. I try to, I try to figure out how can I shoot holes in in this, and then once once I've done a couple of cycles of that, I I might start writing code. I guess. Mm-hmm. You mean shoot holes? You mean like looking for edge cases, or just like uh, yeah, thinking yeah, about- edge cases? Yeah, is a better way to say that. Um, so so I, that's how I try to do things with DK these days. So instead of jumping into code, I mean sometimes you just have to prototype something, but. That's that's more often not necessarily what you need to do with the Greenfield up front, I guess. So, I mean, I have done a couple of apps where I didn't even do the user system until later. I just was working on business case prototyping stuff up, like the first thing. But I guess that's what I, I, I'm i kind of like floundering now. But to really answer the question, I think like with Design Collective, what I, that's what I do now is, especially more so since the beginning of the, the year, that's been one of my, I don't want to call it a resolution, but things that I want to do more is spend more time in writing in Word docs and spend more time in diagramming and spend more time in non-coding of a thing before I start jumping into the coding of the thing. And uh, it's been working more, so I'll do that. And then after I kind of write up a specification at the bottom, I'll have just, I'll try to think of as many ways it could go wrong or think of as as many potential edge cases I can and I'll write them all down there and then I kind of use that to rework things a bit. And that can almost lead directly into writing tests then before you even write code, right? I mean, if you're doing true TDD, like that's kind of the process, right? You mm-hmm. go from the requirements to the specs to the 
the test and then you actually do the thing. Yeah. So a lot of times too, I've been using Notion a lot for writing this, even though we store all, all of our actual writings in Google Docs, I'll just copy and paste into a Google Doc. Um, I'll actually just kind of write throwaway code right in line with the documentation. So we've been making a bunch of uh, changes to shipping. So our shipping system's kind of growing up. Uh, we're adding like a bin packing solution and a little microservice for that. And And so what I did was... I actually kind of outlined things. I had some checklists and then I started writing Elixir in Notion. Just like, so what I wanted to do there was get rid of, get get around like all of the things that stump you. Like how, what is this thing called? What does this namespace look like? Sure. You know what I mean? Try to, try to solve that stuff first. So that way when I get to the actual code, I'm thinking about actual code and not stupid stuff like what is this thing called? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, with Greenfield, I, I feel like I'd probably do that. I would probably try to not think about any of the bootstrappy feeling stuff like user accounts or things that most web apps just need, right? I would try to think about solving some of the the business solutions first and then figuring out how to tie that in later. Yeah, that's that's some really good uh, insight. And uh, that's definitely kind of the direction I'm heading. I mean, I just need to do it a bunch, I think, to, <laughs> to kind of get it, yeah, you know, yeah. find a good system that works for me. So... I can see, you know, obviously I can see the notes that you you have here to talk spoilers. about. Spoilers. <laughs> spoilers. Yeah, we have a Notion doc that we both type in as we're talking. Uh, and I, I don't want this point to slip, slip my mind, but one of the points you have written down is Rails versus Phoenix. And so in my mind, what I'm thinking about before even kind of getting into the bootstrappy things and the boilerplate, I think boilerplate is what I'm really thinking about here. Uh, before getting into any of that, I think that if you try to start writing some, some, even if it's if it's mostly throwaway code, I think that if you start getting into writing some of the code that deals with some of the real business cases that you have to solve, you could even get a sense of is this language the right language to be writing this this thing in? Huh. That's interesting. Like just just do the the like I don't want to say MVP because it's not even the product. It's just like. It's just like the problem. Yeah, yeah. Because in the past, what I've done, especially at Octopus, was, okay, here's an app. Uh, well, I might, I might use Rails because Devise does all this work for me. And so now I'm stuck in Ruby. Maybe maybe the thing I'm working on is better sort of suited for Elixir or even Node, you know? But because I started thinking about the boilerplate first, and the framework over here has a really good way of abstracting all this boilerplate out. That's that's why the decision was made. And I don't think that's maybe the right way. It's sure, certainly a convenient way to make that decision, right? Because you're you're saving time by pushing the work of the boilerplate onto something else, whether it's a library or a framework or whatever. I yeah, I that was one thing that I, I found myself doing a lot was leaning towards certain frameworks because of the amount of work it saved me versus is this really the right tool for the job? Yeah, and that's that was like that was, I think, my biggest hang-up with this was I have here development speed and I have speed in quote marks, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because for me personally, Rails is, I'm just, I've been doing it for so long and I kind of know how to get from A to Z and I can, it's basically as fast as you can write it. Like you can you can solve the problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that goes back to your notion of, you know, saving on boilerplate and saving on uh you know stuff that you that you don't need to write when it might not be maybe the best solution uh for that particular problem sure 
and I wasn't really thinking of it in terms of that. I was thinking of it more in terms of like my time and uh, I almost want to say interest. Like this is a client project and I want to be able to, I need to be able to kind of work on it sporadically, right? I need to be able to get in, make a changes for a couple hours and get out and actually have something to show for the end of that. And Rails is really, really, really good at that. Right. Uh, but it also, that's how you end up with a big pile of hacks, right? Yeah. You start uh, hacking on one little piece and get it done, and then and then you you know you come back to it and you forget about all the the edge cases and all the the way things are coupled. And mm-hmm. I, I don't want to get on the whole hating on Rails train, but that was my internal struggle. It's like, well, I know I can just kind of I know I can just kind of make tactical strikes and get this done with Rails, but is that is that really what I want to do? <laughs> you know, do I want to have to like you know roll my eyes every time I have to work on this project? No, of course not. You know, I want to I want to use tools that are good for the job and that I enjoy using. And uh, so that's obviously, uh, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's no secret. I, I did ended up deciding to use, uh, you know, Elixir and Phoenix for this, for this new web application. And the biggest, actually the biggest question was not whether uh, the actual development and the tools, like for example, device, right? You mentioned device, like there's no real good device for Elixir yet, but like that's, not a big deal. I don't need a whole user account management system, at least not out of the bat, out of the gate for this project, right? So like mm-hmm. just kind of like throw it to the side and figure it out later. Yeah, it yeah. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point to make. You don't need cuz when you have something like device it certainly does come with the whole kitchen sink. Uh every every you know, everything you might need is there. Uh and it's it's a lot of work to kind of sort through and turn things on and turn things off and configure what you need. And in most cases, when when you pull in kitchen sink solutions like that, you find yourself in a position where, oh, I can't actually bend it the way that I need it to in, in one or two edge cases, which is always really frustrating. And that's kind of what we did with uh when I when I started using uh Phoenix, I was using Coherence, I think, is what it was called, and it was really young. And then it was also kind of weird timing because I started the project in Phoenix 1.2, and then a major with 1.3 came out, which was the whole reorganization of things and and uh, domain driven design was introduced there. So I think Design Collective kind of got the double whammy, like using a couple of young libraries, but also the framework itself kind of had a big paradigm shift. <laughs> but I ended up moving away because I didn't need, I only needed a couple of features that Coherence provided and I didn't need the rest of it. And I ended up kind of building my own solution on top of it. And I haven't completely removed it yet, but I'm planning to this year. But I, I kind of just like overwrote what I needed to. Yeah. That goes back to, you know, what the, what's the business case versus what's the boilerplate, right? Like a solution like that is a boilerplate solution. And for, for a lot of applications, maybe that's all you need, but for you know you found out you needed more and so at what point you just there's nothing you can do besides throw it out right yeah, like yeah exactly yeah so that's a good point i mean again i yeah rails there's a lot of good things about rails and that i like a lot it, it it is it's just a good tool but like you said it depends on what your interests are where your momentum is and all that all that stuff and i don't know i i i think i i it's interesting to hear you kind of outline because you had talked to me a couple of days ago or a few days ago, I think like, I know we said we hadn't really talked in three weeks, but we hadn't really. This was kind of like a rubber duck thing that you kind of passed my way. And to hear that you chose uh, to go the Phoenix route over the Rails route, even though you're just like, you could have something standing up and, and alive really quickly with Rails. It was kind of the longevity thing and the maintenance thing that you talked about. Do I really want to 
slap more mud on this on this this pole that I built as I work on it down the road, or do I want to spend a little time more up front thinking about design and thinking about this stuff, and maybe a little bit more time on boilerplate and having to do less. I guess hack maintenance down the road. I don't know how else to call it, but that certainly is what it feels like, right? Hack maintenance. You come back after a year and you're like, I just need to make this work. And that's where the hacks start showing up. Mm -hmm. And actually what I had originally done was I was originally considering the Rails route and I was like, well, I have to go back to my existing Rails code and do a bunch of refactoring (laughs) to clean it up, (laughs) right? (laughs) Just to get it ready for these new changes. And that actually, I just decided to spend that time, uh, you know, elsewhere basically just reallocate that sure and the big the other big hang up with with working on client projects is i'm kind of less inclined to want to care about the deployment story mm-hmm. especially for this particular application where it's a very relatively straightforward web application like no nothing fancy here in terms of technical requirements from the server so uh with rails i've always used uh, cloud 66 which is kind of a i don't want to say it's heroku like but it's a it's a managed hosting solution where you can upload your Rails app or any kind of Docker application and they you bring your own servers, you know, cloud servers, and then you can host stuff with all the best uh, conventions, basically. It's really nice. but And it's nice to just not have to worry about that, right? It's just, you know, latest uh, security updates and, you know, log file grepping and uh, firewalls and load balancing, all that stuff, like, it's just a couple clicks away. It's awesome for mm-hmm. this kind of stuff where I don't want to have to care about it. Oh, and Let's Encrypt, obviously, is a, is a big one too, SSL. Uh, and I was like, you know what? I've been keep hearing about this gig elixir thing let me uh i spent friday just like friday morning just playing with gig elixir it's like okay make a new app follow the tutorial uh and like it was literally i just mixed phoenix new made the three or four changes they needed to change and like i had a live app in you know a couple of minutes it's is pretty much like I spend enough time playing with it. I'm fully convinced that that's just going to be the way going forward for for almost any Phoenix stuff that I do. I really don't want to have to host it myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was the biggest selling point for you there? Um, just I mean, not just time saved, but mo- it's mostly just like peace of mind, right? Like I could do it myself. Uh, you're not actually saving a whole bunch of money because with Gig Elixir, you know, you pay a little extra, but you know, they host the servers as well. So, sure. yeah, you have to, you know, you could run your own server, but then you have to worry about just getting it set up right, documenting how you set it up, uh, following all the best conventions, locking it down, rolling your own this, rolling your own that. And it's like, it's just, it's just easier to, to just, uh, especially when I'm, you know, outsourcing, I'm not outsourcing, but I'm charging for this. Like, the, you know, I'll just pass on the, the cost to the client mm-hmm. and just be like, hey, this is the, the greatest and the most secure and the best you can get. And uh, that's like, that's the end of the story. I can make that decision and uh, you just pass on the hosting costs and it's fine, you know? Yeah. So, so I mean, you have way more experience I do than I do working with OTP itself. Uh, how was it? How does Google Elixir handle that? Because I've seen... So I think the founders messaged me a couple of times uh, uh, based off of various forum posts where I was talking about Heroku and he was like, hey, just so you know, this is, here's Gig Elixir, you know? And so I've looked at it a couple of times. I've never signed up. I've never tried to, to, to launch anything. That, that's mainly because I was already on Heroku. What is, how does it work with like long running jobs or, or, you know, presence or, or things like that? Is, just, is that supported just out of the box or? Yeah, it's, they have a... But yes, the short answer is yes. Like it, that's the whole point of it is that it it does all the cool Elixir stuff. So it does have the servers never restart, right? 
uh, like Heroku, where they restart them every 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does, they do support, everything is containerized, but they do support clustering. Uh, so they tell you how to set up lib cluster okay. and uh, to, to do that. So you can you can do that. Uh, hot code upgrades. Basically, when you do when you do git push, you you know you push your git repo to to them. Um, there's like a HTTP header you set, and you say like hot upgrade true, and then it does mm-hmm. a hot upgrade instead of a uh, instead of a you know a rolling restart, which is what it does by default. Which is you know just still good for most cases, right? Right. And um, what was the other thing? Oh yeah, and you kind of have to use distillery to to like get all those features. But and they do support mix out of the box, but you really want to just follow their instructions instead of distillery. It just takes a couple minutes, and then you know follow their convention, and it's fine. So yeah, that's that's still quite a bit out of the box. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually like I'm very tempted just to see if I can stand up the RHR WebSocket servers on it just to see. Oh man, uh, it'd probably be like minimal, especially because those those uh, don't have a database attached to them. Like I might be able to just get it working, which would be cool. So, I mean, that would, that probably potentially save you because you spent, you had to, you had to do a few revisions on some of that stuff for the WebSocket service, didn't you? When you're, I think you use Google, you're using Google Club Engine, right? No, uh, AWS. Oh, AWS. Yeah. Yeah. It took a while to figure all that stuff out. And then also like, it's still not great. I don't know. It works, but it's, uh, yeah. I do hot code upgrades on that all the time. I mean, I do like, I've done like a dozen hot code upgrades in a row and like not a single, you know, user has been disconnected or anything. It's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. So yeah, yeah. It's really, really good for WebSocket stuff. So do you have any techniques or tips for working with all those different projects you're working on? In terms of technical things or just like time management? Like, what do you mean? Both, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because like, because I'm, I'm doing something similar. Uh, I, again, I don't want to call them resolutions out of jinxing. I'm knocking on my desk right now. But because uh, my desk is made out of wood, but uh, yeah, so I made a couple of goals, just that things that I want to try to achieve in 2019, and I have a few different irons in the fire. I'm working on different things, and I'm trying a couple of trying a couple of uh, ways to try to introduce introduce accountability to myself. I guess like so, one thing I'm trying to do is is I'm trying to track more time, and it's not that it's 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 weird because I kind of have this internal negative connotation towards tracking time because when I first started working at Octopus, we had to track 40 hours a week and it was terrible. And eventually we did away with that. But I'm trying to track my time so that way I have these estimates in my mind. Like I want to work on five hours a week on this project and 10 hours a week on this project. And obviously I'm doing 40 hours a week on Design Collective. And that's that's great. But at the end of the week, I don't actually know if I did hit five or if I did it, you know, so if like on a, on a, on a Saturday, if I feel like I have energy left and I'm not going to get burnt out, I can look at the projects that I didn't hit what I wanted to, right? And I can use that to kind of help guide myself or if I can I can use that to see like, oh, I'm accidentally focusing on this one more than the other one and this one's getting neglected a little bit, right? It all sounds very boring and just boring and... Tedious. Worky. Yeah, tedious is a good way to, to put that. But I th- that's really one thing I'm trying to do because that gives me just a clear picture on what I'm spending my time on because my time is my my resource. That's what I have. And so I want to make sure that I'm allocating my time based on what I want to achieve this year. I, w- I want to make sure that I'm actually allocating my time towards what will make that happen because I can sit here and be like, oh, I feel like I made a lot of progress on Think this week or this month, but maybe I actually didn't. <laughs> you know, Maybe that's just me thinking about it and remembering incorrectly because I do that sometimes. Uh, so anyway, like for me, time tracking is one of those things where I can actually see, oh yeah, I spent, I spent um, 
I hit my goal for this week or I missed my goal or I went over my goal for this week, for example. So I can say I need to dial back and work less or this week I need to work a little more because I haven't been putting in the time that I wanted to to achieve this this goal. Are you going to try to plan out your time ahead of time? Like a couple of days in advance or like do you plan out your whole week or how are you going to how are you going to go about this like it's easy to look back and see what you did but sure but how do you kind of plan on keeping yourself in line cuz this is oh yeah what i'm struggling with okay so uh, one thing I do is I use Notion a lot now. And so for each kind of iron I have in the fire, I have an HQ, what I call an HQ page. So for example, my personal stuff, I have an SWWHQ. And so Notion, you can search through your, your notes by hitting Command P. And so I can just type HQ and I can see the the kind of main jumping off point for each of my projects. And so on that page, I'll usually have like a weekly to-do list. So on Mondays, I try to think like, what do I want to do this week? What I, what I think I can get done this week? And I'll just make a to-do list there, you know, this week. So Sean HQ this week, Bthink HQ this week, Design Collective HQ this week. Obviously, there's a little more to that one because that's my full-time job. But um, uh, so then on top of that, for each project, I have uh, kind of a Kanban board in Notion. And they're not paying me to talk about Notion all the time. I just like it a lot. Uh, I wanted to make that disclaimer there. So I could feel like an <laughs> official podcast. You'd think it. You'd think that they <laughs> you'd did. You'd think it. But yeah, so I have the little HQ, which is just kind of like general notes. This is what I want to do this week. And then I have a Kanban board for each each one, except for Design Collective, because we use other things for that. But I have a little Kanban board. This Here's what's in progress. And the cool thing about Notion, you can do this on Trello too, but Notion's a little bit more intense because it's just like a blank slate. You can make whatever page into whatever. So each card in a Kanban board is like an actual just page. So you can make that into another Kanban board if you really needed to. Like if that one card is a full-on project, you can make it into a brainstorming notebook. So so what I'll do is, so if I have a card that's in in kind of the in-progress slot, I'll just take a ton of notes in that card. So when I click on the card, I hit command enter, it opens it as a full page. And I have my general like, here's what I need to do to complete this item. And then underneath, I'll just dump notes. So before I close up working on that project, I'll leave pretty specific notes as to what I was doing. Here's where I left off. Here's what I need to do to kick back up. And so that's been pretty helpful. I just have to leave those 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 trails. Otherwise, I'll forget where I was. Uh, but that's been working pretty okay so far is just kind of like being more disciplined in that area, leaving notes for myself and making sure that future me will understand what that guy was even doing when I go and look at it. <laughs> Past you is your own worst enemy. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't know. That's so those are those are two things that I'm doing is I'm just like separating separating those those things into specific streams of thought, whether it's the HQ page or the Kanban board, and then just tracking my time. So actually right now I have a does not compute um, HQ, and we obviously use it for our show notes and stuff like that um, and sharing episodes and stuff. But I'm also tracking time right now. uh, So that way at the end of the month I can see like, okay, well, I want the podcast to succeed. How many hours am I spending on this thing? Can I allocate more? Do I need to allocate less? You know, it's just like finding balance on the different things that I'm working on, I suppose, is what I'm trying to do. It's okay. I can do the show without you for a couple of weeks. If you're busy, it's fine. <laughs> I'll just talk to myself. Talk to Bucky. Talk to cat of the show, Bucky. He always has a lot on his mind. So I took over my own question, but yeah. So like what what are what kind of things are you doing to help juggle your your, your projects or irons? Well, so far it's been turning into a giant ball of stress. Uh, I get my back all worked up. 
into a big knot. So that's working out really well. That's ooh. Uh, no, it's just uh, that's why I'm asking because I don't I don't know yet. It seems to be I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants and like. I'll work on something until something else, some other mm-hmm. uh, hotter fire comes up. It's not like anything has any hard deadlines either. I mean, this new project I'm picking up will have some deadlines, and so I'll have to sort of allocate time in order to meet those. Uh, but other stuff is just like kind of work on it when I can, which is not really the best for motivating yourself to be productive, if I'm being honest. Sure. So... um. I don't know, maybe like making some artificial deadlines for myself. I know you do that a lot. Um, I don't want to say artificial, but just making deadlines for yourself. You know, that mm-hmm. that might be a strategy that I give myself. Uh, I might even try just like literally blocking off like chunks of time during the day, like, you know, two hour blocks, like, you know, from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. I'm going to work on this. And then from 10 to 12, I'm going to do this. And you know what I mean? And just actually like literally changing my workspace, closing Slack for the project I'm not working on, or, you know, yeah. shutting down the development servers for the project I'm not working on. It's just, just you know, context switching, which, I don't know. I like working in chunks. I work very bursty. Like, I love just spending a whole day on something. That's, you know, when I get my most productive mode, but I don't know if that's going to be feasible with, with you know, working on so many projects at once. I don't know if, if I can let things necessarily slide for that long, especially RHR where it's like, Sometimes it's stuff that really just needs action immediately. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So one thing that friend of the show, Greg, uh, said that he did, and this isn't like he didn't say that specifically to a question, the same question of like, how do you manage your projects? But one thing I noticed that he did was that he keeps, uh, he uses spaces on his Mac a lot. And he has, because what I do with spaces, I have all programming on space one, all text communication on space two, email and calendar on space three and Spotify on space four. What he does is space one is project A, space two is project B. And it, like, it blew my mind when I heard that because I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, so he has terminal windows on space one for project one, terminal windows for on space two. And he just swipes when he's working on the other thing, he just swipes over to that space and everything's there, how he left it. Yeah. Obviously, unless you like quit the app or whatever, but. Yeah, maybe like the first space is just your general like messing around space or something, like the default one. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I the, the the physical exercise thing is a huge huge thing for me and deal like mentioning stress and mentioning the back thing because that's that for sure happens manifests in your physical body your your emotional and stress in general but I don't know it's maybe hopefully this doesn't happen because sometimes I try to do stuff like this and then I just run out of steam and then I default into just like working you know just working uh, and what I guess what I mean by just working is not thinking any more about how to organize or how to like attack it better. I'm just like showing up at a time and doing my work and leaving at a time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's, yeah, sometimes just the best you can <laughs> you can hope for. Yeah. So I'm trying to use Notion a lot more because it is flexible and allows me to do that. And there's keyboard shortcuts so I can do it quickly. But that was one of the big things I wanted to do this year was, uh, and I was talking about it on Twitter a couple of days ago, but just be more mindful about things. So I got used to just being really busy. Someone asked you how you're doing. Oh, I'm busy, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want that to be how I feel most of the time because most of the time being busy doesn't mean being productive. And so what I'm trying to do is figure out how I chisel out productivity out of the busyness. And if I can separate the two by uh, organizing things better 
or spending more time preparing up front. Think, like you said, on a Monday, plan out my week and try to stick to that as best I can. And I don't, you know, maybe that'll help me cut through some of the busyness of of working and actually feel more productive while feeling less busy. If that makes any sense, I guess we'll we'll find out. Yeah, I mean, the other option that we haven't even considered is just doing less. Hey, like I don't, I don't. <laughs> gotta build my empire. I don't have to have four projects going on at once. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah, I do. And I, I want to, if I can support it, but if it's, if it's causing me grief and you know, everything is suffering because of that in terms of, you know, the quality of the work for each individual thing, like I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, ditch something like it might, it might just not work out. You know, I don't, I don't want it to be that way. I'm going to try and see, but if I don't want to burn out on it either. So, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's totally another viable option. You know, I don't, I don't want my, like the, the trend can't continue, right? Like, yeah, you know, I took on, you know, a new new client project and this new software project and it's like, where does it stop? I, I don't know. I need to figure, I need to find that kind of mm-hmm. equilibrium because I don't want to just be a work monster either. Yeah. I mean, that's a really good point to be made because it doesn't, you, just, you don't have to, to be doing that. I don't, that's something that I kind of got from Twitter for a long time was all these people were doing all these crazy things and I was like how do they have the time and so I would try and get burnt out and like you said it just the other option is you don't have to do that you can have a life outside of programming and working and all that stuff but but uh, I had a point that I was trying to make I'm trying to remember right now it's very poignant oh yeah so part of the time tracking is like I mentioned if I'm tracking all my time if I'm feeling burnt out I can look at where I'm spending my time and I can make a choice because that you can you can't have unlimited priorities, right? So there has to be some priorities that are more important. And if I'm starting to feel burnt out, and I have that information on what I've actually spent my time on, I can make the choice of, okay, this one's less important, and I can shift this many hours to not working, or I can shift this many hours to this project. Uh, so that was another reason why I wanted to try to track the time more, so that it's just giving myself more information to make decisions based off of how I'm feeling. Yeah, and I guess. You want to see how you feel versus how much time you spent on a thing. Like, it'd be a fun exercise to be like, okay, I feel like I spent X hours on this project this week. And then you look at it, you're like, oh, it was way less or way more. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Just giving, I, it feels like I'm giving myself more ammunition to actually, actually make. So the, there's times where you think like, oh, I'm really burnt out this week. What did I do? And you totally forgot that you did, <laughs> you know what I mean? You did another 15 hours at the beginning of the week. You just totally forgot it or blocked it out. So I'm trying to... I mean, you could do that for a whole year too. Yeah, you can. You can for sure. We used to have a uh, a game we would play in a, a math class with a buddy of mine where we would... Uh, it was like a 50-minute class. And uh, so about some way through the class, it would feel like we're dragging. We would try to take bets on like what minute it was. You know, kind of like prices right rules without going over. Just like write a little number on a piece of paper and slide it over. And right, closest person would win. I don't know bragging rights. Yeah, that's how it feels some days. Ooh. So, yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm excited for the new year. I'm. You know, it's a lot of changes for you, which is uh, I'm excited for you and Jamie and all her stuff that she's got going on too. It's. It's. Uh, it's cool. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good, interesting year, I think, for both of us. Yeah, I think it will too. It's gonna to be a lot of work, but uh sometimes this is how it is, I guess. It feels like one of those years. That's I guess that's what it feels like. And especially maybe because Jamie's finishing school. Uh, I think since I've known her, we've been getting, we've been together five years, she's been in school for five years. Right, right. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, different season for sure. But um 
yeah if any if any if any listeners out there have any feedback or advice on how to juggle projects and stay organized and not burn out and stay mindful of the amount of work that you're doing uh would very much very much love to to hear your thoughts on that and uh if you want to give us those thoughts the show twitter is at dnc show sean is sean washbot and i am shrockwell as always uh we're gonna have the show notes any links things that we've talked about today are gonna be at dnc.show so if you're interested in finding a link you'll find it there and we also have the show notes posted over at spectrum.chat we've got a bunch of other channels uh for related topics and uh including uh like you mentioned in a previous show they were just uh bought out by github so that's that's pretty cool yeah yeah congratulations to brandon brian and max and everyone involved uh that's pretty pretty cool i'm actually seeing Bryn tomorrow going up to the github offices tomorrow oh that's awesome yeah haven't seen him in a while so it'll be good to see him and sarah but uh, also, speaking of acquisitions and jobs, if you're looking for a job, you can head over to spec.fm slash jobs and see what's going on over there. Right now, I can see that um, Envision and Datadog are still looking for some employees, uh, both of which are pretty cool companies. So you should head on over to spec.fm slash jobs and check those out. And uh, also, as always, thanks to Spec for having us. It's been um, it's been a fun ride since Paul was like, hey, do you want to do a podcast one day? And I said, why not? You know, so I'm thankful to Spec for having us on and helping us with with everything podcast related. And if you're intro, if you're interested in other design and development related podcasts, you should definitely head on to Spec.fm and, and check out the other shows there. That's how I started a relationship with a girl once in middle school. She asked, uh, "Hey, you, why not? Yeah, you, you want a date?" And I was like, "Yeah, why not?" <laughs> How'd that work out? I mean, it was middle school, so gotcha. Yeah. So like by three o'clock that afternoon, it was deal was off. Yeah, basically, basically we went to high school and everything changed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, oh, and also congrats to Mikhail, <laughs> our our uh, oh, yeah. wonderful editor who makes us sound awesome. Just got married this past week, so that's awesome. Yeah, congrats, Mikhail. So thanks to Mikhail for uh, being an awesome editor, and to Sarah Jackson for producing this episode and all of our episodes. Well, it is Sunday, so I'm going to go somewhere away from this computer for a while. <laughs> go somewhere warm, <laughs> warmer than 55. Yeah. The office is cold. I need to figure that out too. Yeah. Run some crisis. Ooh, I could. I could. Actually, the Diablo 3 season's ending today, so there's been a lot of deaths in the in the clan because I play hardcore, which is permadeath. Rip. And everyone's everyone's trying to push the leaderboard, so I think last night we had 10 people in our clan lose characters. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that. I could do that too, but I'm scared. I'm too scared. I've lost seven this season. Go watch uh, AGDQ. What's that? Awesome Games Done Quick. Uh, it'll be too late by the time this airs, but uh, really cool uh, Twitch streaming uh, for charity. They they speed run games for a whole week. I can't. I don't think I'd be able to watch. If they were playing like hardcore permadeath mode, it'd be too oh. difficult to watch. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't do that. But All right. All right. I'll talk to you later. See you, man. See ya. Thanks again to Sentry.io for sponsoring Does Not Compute. Stop waiting for users to report errors. Iterate faster, improve customer happiness, and make a better product with Sentry's comprehensive error reporting platform. Check them out at Sentry.io. Sentry.io.